0: words we have just sung together. The following stanza is a great summary of what we are about to hear this morning. The night is dark but I am not forsaken for by my side the Savior he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need his power is displayed. I uh, I encourage you to open God's word to the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be reading from chapter 30, from verse 1 to verse 31. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 to 31. It is amazing as you turn there uh, to be reminded of, uh, of God's providence, uh, to hear Raina's testimony and hearing how she finished it with the words from 2 Corinthians uh, about God's power to be made strong in our weakness uh, because this, the message this morning is on that theme as well. Only God could have orchestrated that. Let's hear God's word this morning. First Samuel chapter 30 verse 1. Here is God's word. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. Because of all the people were bitter in soul each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake And shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David, and they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master... "'left me behind because I felt sick three days ago. "'We had made a raid against the Negev of the Carthites "'and against that which belongs to Judah "'and against the Negev of Caleb, "'and we burned Ziklag with fire. "'And David said to him, "'Will you take me down to this band?' "'And he said, "'Swear to me by God that you will not kill me "'or deliver me into the hands of my master, "'and I will take you down to this band.' And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds. And the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. And David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David, and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that which man with each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this manner? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike and he made it a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sp- he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negeb, in Jatir, in Aror, in Sifmoth, in Estemoah, in Rakal in the cities of the Jeramalites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Horma, in Bor-Ashan, in Athak, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you pray and bow with me in asking God to bless the preaching of his word and the hearing? Let's pray. Father, you are God, and this morning we ask that you would speak to our hearts from this word. I pray for strength for me to declare it plainly, and I also pray that you would give us strength for us to hear it clearly. In the name of Jesus, we pray, through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Finding strength in the Lord. The author, First Samuel, has been telling us since the end of chapter 27 about the battle that the Philistines have been preparing uh, against the Israelites. In chapter 28, Saul was told that the battle would happen tomorrow. But in chapter 29, the narrator takes us on a detour, focusing on what was happening not with Saul and the battle, but what was happening with David. That he was asked not to fight in the battle alongside the Philistines. So by the end of chapter 29, when we get to the end of that, we hope, okay, the next chapter 30, we're going to read about the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. But when we get to chapter 30, we find out that the author, the narrator, teases us a little longer and says, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you about that battle. There's something else I need to tell you about. Before we get to the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites, there is another detour. The author is delaying telling us about that battle, shifting our attention to what is happening, what has happened at Ziklag the amalekites have attacked it burnt it up and have taken all the inhabitants captive in these last few chapters of the book of first samuel the author continues to present us with a contrast between saul and david and how each of these two characters respond to crisis in chapter 28 saul was facing an overwhelming enemy He asked for direction um, from God. He asked for direction from God. But God had turned his face away from Saul. So Saul resorted to consulting mediums. In chapter 30, we see David facing a great crisis as well. And here we, we get to learn how David responds. Saul and David... Proved to respond very differently in their time of crisis. And the closing of this book keeps this contrast in front of our eyes. As we look at this story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30, we notice three big moments for David. A personal realignment. A personal realignment. A second major thing we notice is a complete rescue, complete rescue. And then finally, we, we see a, a generous sharing, a generous sharing. This is how the chapter of uh, this book wants to close the picture of David. Uh, the the king to be with a personal realignment, with a complete rescue, and with a generous sharing. And it's as if the author says to us, before I get to tell you about the battle between the Philistines and Saul and the Israelites, I want to leave you with this picture of David. What is the picture of David that the author wants to leave us with? A personal realignment, point number one about David, a personal realignment, In the first three verses, the author tells us three times about another crisis that had had surfaced, not between the Philistines and Israel, this time between the Amalekites and Ziklag. We're told several times in these first three verses that the, the Amalekites have attacked, this time Ziklag, and have burnt it down, taking the wives and the children uh, of, the, of, of Ziklag, and that included David's army men. All their family was taken. And when David and his men arrived at Ziklag, there was no one left behind. Everything and everyone was taken. And notice the depth of bitterness and weeping that was going on among David's troops. Look at verse 4. And David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Let this crisis sink in. Let the the incredible blow this did to David and his men Let that blow make sense for you. To be left with no more strength even to weep. That's how bitter they became. That's how terrifying and weighty this tragedy was for them. Until they had no more strength to weep. Now let's put this in perspective. Why was David in Ziklag in the first place? Because earlier in chapter 27, he had gotten tired of all the, the pursuit of Saul. And he thought that he one day he would die at the hands of Saul. So he decided to just flee from the land of Judah and find safety with the Philistines. And he found favor with the Philistines. Achish had given him the the city of Ziklag. But now Ziklag and the Philistine territory did not prove to be as safe as David had hoped it to be. The place they thought would be their safety in the Philistine land Proved to be a very tragic haven after all. This crisis was so significant and so deeply painful that David encountered another level of threat. As if that was not enough. Look at what else David gets to experience in verse 6. David was greatly distressed. Why? There's another reason. For the people spoke of stoning him. For all, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. David is in Philistine land because he had been running away from Saul who sought to kill him. But now, David's pit gets way deeper than he ever thought possible. It's not merely Saul and his people who sought to kill David. Now, the very people that surrounded David, his loyal men, those who were with him are now turning against him and considering to kill David by stoning him. Can it get any worse? No wonder the text is saying, and I think it was an understatement, and David was greatly distressed. To lose his family, to lose a city, and all that they had collected there from all their raids during this time, and now to lose the support of his own army. David finds himself alone. Where can David flee when, he's, when he hears that his own men are considering to stone him? What can David do? And the end of verse six is like the hinge that moves the whole story from tragedy to some glimmer of hope. There's a phrase at the end of verse 6 that starts with the word, but. Look what it says. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let this sink in. This is what David should have done back in chapter 27. When he felt discouraged and hopeless with Saul's relentless pursuits of him. But back in chapter 27, David didn't do this. Without consulting the Lord, without finding encouragement in the Lord, David sought refuge with the Philistines. And now the Lord chose David and brings him to a place where he can no longer escape suffering by simply going into enemy territory and pretending to be like them or or pretending to fight for them. The Lord brings David into a deeper pit in this enemy territory. And the Lord allows David to experience more intense distress by showing him that it's not only his enemies that have turned against him, but his own people. So for David, all the props of finding safety are taken away. Every one of them. But it's through this intensifying suffering that David realigns himself back with the Lord. He finally does what he should have done in chapter 27. He turns to the Lord. And there he strengthens himself in the Lord. There's no one else that can be a source of strength for David. Not his family, for they're gone. Not his army, for they're now against him. But David turns to the one who is there when he turns to him, the Lord. And this step is a step that David does. And it is a step that can encourage us as well. Now I ask you, what did David do? To strengthen himself in the Lord? From these verses, consider three steps that David did. The first step, to strengthen himself in the Lord. The first step David did was to turn to the Lord in his distress. To turn to the Lord in the middle of the distress. Friends... You cannot strengthen yourself in the Lord if you are not turning to Him. Finding stre- strength in the Lord starts with this simple stre- step turn to the Lord in your crisis. A second thing that the narrator tells us that David did in strengthening himself in the Lord is to tell us he strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David remembered that the God he is turning to is his God. He is not merely a God out there, but is his God. David remembered that he belongs to God and God belongs to him. There is a relationship that David had with God before this crisis. Friends, it's impossible to strengthen yourself in the Lord without establishing first that God must be your God. Saul had also sought the Lord in his troubles, but there was no more personal relationship between Saul and the Lord, for the Lord had turned away from Saul back in chapter 15. Here David strengthened himself in God, in the Lord his God, because the Lord was David's God. The point is, you can only strengthen yourself in the Lord if there is a relationship between you and the Lord. A third thing that David does, the narrator tells us that his strength in the Lord manifested by reestablishing communication with the Lord. Verses 7 and 8, David called for the priest and inquired of the Lord for direction. In chapters 27 through 29, there had been no mention of David asking God for direction or strength. But now he reestablishes that communication with the Lord and submits to his direction. Which means to strengthen yourself in the Lord shows up through active prayer and willingness to let God direct and call the shots in our lives. Instead of acting in our own impulses. This is a great realignment that David makes in his life. In his bitter and deep distress, he realigns his direction on the Lord and strengthens himself in him. Friends, what about you and I? Do you know what it means to strengthen yourself in the Lord? Is that a new category for you? Or do you know how to do that? It starts with turning to Him. Let me ask you this morning. I know in a, in a room like, like, like ours this morning, most of us are self-professed Christians, believers. But I wonder if there's still some among us. Like Raina used to be years ago before she was a Christian, sitting in church and just not paying attention. I wonder if there's still some among us who are in that category Is the Lord your God? Have you turned to him? Part of what it means to turn to the Lord is to to recognize that our only hope of finding true, meaningful, lasting strength is in the Lord our God. To relinquish our ability to try to manage resourcing strength for ourselves in our own plans and strategies. The God that we worship, the God we declare today, is a God who wants to be our God, a God who works in weakness, a God who works in times of need. He's a God who desires a personal relationship with His people. Strengthening ourselves in God involves that communion with God, talking with him in prayer, reading the word that he revealed to us. Oh, friends, I pray that you would consider the ways in which David strengthened himself in the Lord, and you would cultivate those steps in your walk with the Lord. When you commune with God through prayer or reading his word or hearing his word, do you consider, do you meditate on the truths that you hear Or do you simply read, checking off a box, or just listen but not really paying attention? Strengthening ourselves in God also involves submitting to his leadership, relinquishing our plans, and say, Lord, I submit to you. Would you lead? Would you take over? A few centuries later from this passage, one of the Old Testament prophets sought to correct the entire people of God Because they had failed to find their strength in the Lord. The prophet Isaiah, in his book, several times picks up on this failure of the people of God to find their strength in the Lord. And they have found strength in all kinds of things. Like the armies of of fellow nearby uh, neighbors who could help them in their struggles. And here's what the prophet Isaiah said to the people of God. He says, For thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. They were so busy trying to figure out solutions to their problems, they had forgotten to be quiet before the Lord the Lord says, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But Isaiah says, but you are unwilling. You are unwilling to take the path that really gives strength to God's people. Our strength in the Lord always comes through trusting in Him. Our strength in the Lord never comes separate from trusting in Him. So we strengthen ourselves in the Lord as we review and cultivate where we place our trust in. The God we worship is a God who gives strength to his people for those who depend on him and trust him. Now listen also to the, the prophet Isaiah again at the at the end of, of chapter 40, a, a significant chapter in the book. The prophet Isaiah says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Friends, I wonder if there's any realignment that you need to do today to shift away from trusting in your plans, to shift away from from doing the busy work of just fretting about all that needs to happen and failing to keep God at the center of your life and to run to Him for refuge. Don't wait for the Lord to get you to a place where he takes all the props away and you have no place to turn to but to him. It shows that even David got to that place where he figured out how to get out of his mess in chapter 27. And the Lord said, David, you can try. It'll work for a while. But look, it's not going to work forever. So, friends, from this story, what we see here in David is finally a realignment. A realignment of finding strength in the Lord. And this passage or this point could wonderfully be concluded with the words of 1 Chronicles 16, 11, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Point number two. What we see in the story is a complete rescue. Not only a personal realignment, but a complete rescue. God assured David in verse 8 Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David begins a pursuit. Now, David and his men have no idea where to look, there's no GPS trying to identify where the enemy might be in the landscape of the Middle Eastern terrain. David leaves with this assurance. Go, you shall surely overtake, you shall surely rescue. During the pursuit, however, it becomes clear that some of David's army are way too exhausted to consider the pursuit and to keep it. Now, I want, to, I want you to, to, to let this sink in. These men had their wives and children taken. And their exhaustion was so high that even the price of recapturing and rescuing their wives and children was not enough to get him to keep going. That's how exhausted they were. This is a picture that David's army is not at the top of their strength. This is a picture David's army is at the bottom of the barrel and 200 of the men have to stay behind because they're too exhausted. This is not a sign of lack of loyalty. This was just a sign of how deeply depleted the army was of strength. But even without their full number, so of 600 men, 200 stay behind. That's a third of the army. So David has to continue in this journey with only two-thirds of the people. But in verses 11 and 15, the Lord orchestrates for David and his men to find a clue. Someone who would be a guide to take him straight to where the Amalekites were placed. They found an Egyptian who had been so sick that his master had deserted him. David and his men show compassion to this Egyptian. They feed him. They take care of him. And two two days later, they figure out, they find out, when the man recovered some of his strength, they learn that this guy is actually one of the servants of the Amalekite master who was in the raid that burn ziklag the sickness of a servant would cause the amalekite master to desert him in the open field to let him die and god would lead david to find this mas- this servant who was about to die who does that what an amazing way for god to provide a clue for david And says, David, you may not have a GPS, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to send you to a personal guide who will get you to the right place, even if you had to leave a third of your army behind. Now, do you notice a theme that is recurring in the unfolding of this rescue plan? Exhaustion, no strength, sickness. And even in the middle of this all, the Lord is quietly working. The Lord is orchestrating details to lead David to find the Amalekites. And then in verses 16 through 20, David indeed finds the Amalekites. And they are celebrating their victories. They're celebrating their incredible spoil that they had gathered, not only from Ziglag, but from the land of Judah and from the land of the Philistines. Apparently, it was a tour de force, a, a powerful raid collection of raids and they have collected a lot of stuff the text tells us that in their celebration david catches them strikes them down and 400 of their young men are able to escape by getting on their camels and running away and you might wonder why is that significant why is it significant for us to find out that 400 of their men escape while everybody else was, was struck down by David and his army. Well, this suggests that the Amalekites were way bigger than David's army. How many were left with David? 400. How many fled, were able to escape? 400. The rest were struck down. That means David was facing a way bigger enemy than the size of the men who were with him was this present in this book ever before was there anyone else anywhere else in this book that we have found an israelite army facing an enemy that was way bigger than themselves do you remember chapter 28 The Philistines against the Israelites, and Saul, when he saw how big the uh, the Philistine army was, his heart began to tremble. Here we see a a contrast that the narrator is putting for us. The enemy that David faced was way bigger than his army. The, The enemy that Saul had faced in chapter 28 was way bigger than his army. In both situations, they were outnumbered. Yet in David's case, the Lord granted David a great victory over the Amalekites. So much so that in verse 17 we read, Not a man of them escaped, except the 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. This, this picture of, of winning, even though the enemy is way bigger than you, this picture needs to sink in. Perhaps a a way to, to bring that home for modern Austinites, 21st century, especially 2021, the city of Austin has our first professional sports theme in the history of our city. And I'm sorry to say it's not football. But it's soccer. Yes, it's a sport where you truly use a football and use your foot to actually kick the ball around. In the world of soccer, if a player fouls an opposing team's player, if the foul is pre-aggressive, the player gets a yellow card. He still stays in the game. But if that player gets two yellow cards, whether in the same game or in different games, then after the second yellow card, that player can no longer play the following game. But if the foul is so aggressive or very, very aggressive, the referee can give a red card, which means the player who committed the foul has to leave the game that very moment and he cannot be replaced by somebody else, which means for the rest of the game, your team is going to have to play the game with one man short. And it is a huge disadvantage to be outnumbered. Now imagine if in the world of soccer, like your team would be outnumbered significantly. Le- a, th- a third of your team has to leave the battle, the game field. That you have only two-thirds of your team facing the opposing team. It's literally, it's like clearly a loss. Like nobody can survive that kind of being outnumbered. One well, of the point that David has here with the Amalekites he is seriously outnumbered. What chance does he have to fight against uh, an army that has committed such a raid against the land and his, his men already are tired and yet in the midst of their weakness, in the midst of being outnumbered, in the midst of their, the, the chances of them conquering being slim to none, nevertheless, the Lord gives David the ability to strike the Amalekites so hard that no one escapes except the 400 men who mounted on camels. And not only that, but David is able to recover. David is able to recover everything. Look at what the narrator emphasizes in verses 18 through 20. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and the herds. Do you hear the refrain? That nothing was lost in this rescue. This is a way of saying the rescue was total, complete, complete. Not only so, but David recovered all the spoil that the Amalekites had taken from all the other places. And the people attributed the spoil as belonging to David. Now, put this in perspective. The chapter started with emptiness. And now we get a picture of fullness. This is the God in whom David trusted. This is the God in whom David found strength. The Lord enabled David not only to recover all that was lost, but to receive much, much more. Now, who in the world can orchestrate such a rescue? From the starting off with everything being lost to a recovering of everything and getting more. From starting off in this pursuit with only part of the army, and yet even without their full number to experience such a powerful victory. Wow. Reminds us that even when our numbers are not as full as we had hoped, the mission that the Lord gives to his people is not dependent on our numbers, but on God's ability to use those who are following him to accomplish his purposes. It may be easy, my dear friends, to be discouraged at all the ways in which this pandemic has worn us down. And some of us being so exhausted and so tired. Some still not being able to feel open to do what we once used to do. And feel like, can the Lord still use us when our numbers are low? Oh, friends, here the Lord is using David's army, even though it's just two-thirds of capacity, and bringing about a great victory. Do you remember Hannah's song? Chapter one, chapter two, verse four the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. At the beginning of the chapter, the Amalekites seemed to be the mighty ones, and David and his army seemed to be so weak and feeble that they had no more strength even to weep. And yet, David finds strength in the Lord. And the Lord brought David from such a low point at the beginning of this chapter. In order to help him recalibrate, to focus on finding strength in God. And now the Lord has enabled David to give a complete rescue where nothing was missing. This is the God of David. Friends, this is our God as well. We can trust in his word and in his promises. The Lord said to David, you shall surely overtake you shall surely rescue. And he was not a partial rescue. it was a complete rescue. Friends, consider how David's rescue mission in this text and his complete recovery of all that had been captured is, is similar to another rescue mission that someone greater than David was to accomplish centuries later. When God sent another king on the throne of David, in the line of David, his eternal son, Jesus Christ, to earth to be incarnate and to execute his eternal rescue operation, Jesus said in John 6:39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Friends, can you trust that God's rescue plan will suffer no loss whatsoever? All that the father has given to his son, the son will never lose, but recover all. Praise be to the God who's able to work such amazing rescue operations. And the story completes with, concludes with a final point in David's life. Not only a personal realignment, not only a complete rescue, but a generous sharing. A generous sharing. When David returns from conquering the Amalekites, there is a new issue that he has to resolve and has to deal with. It's no longer the Amalekites, they're gone. Now there's some divisive spirit within the camp. A division arose between the men who went to battle and those who stayed behind because they're too exhausted. This is a, link, a, a hint and a clue that the men who went to fight had begun some resentment in their hearts against the people who stayed behind. Oh, it's so nice of them to be able to stay behind. Why are we the only ones who have to go and fight? Wouldn't it be nice for us to stay behind as well? Oh, you know what? When we get back, all the stuff that we got, it's ours. They don't deserve any of it. You see that selfishness? That didn't just brew up in the moment. Resentment had had crept up in their hearts. And now David has to deal with the divisive spirit. They say in verse 22, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may, lay, may lead away his wife and children and depart. Now the narrator is very clear in telling us the character of the men who brought this divisiveness. Look at verse 22, then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Yes, even in David's army, there were some who were wicked and worthless fellows. Their wickedness and worthlessness shows up not only in that they don't want to share in the blessing, but in how the frame, how they speak about their blessing. Who recovered their spoil? They said, We will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered. They themselves thought that they were the cause of their recovery. How wicked of them to only attribute to themselves the credit. What is David's answer? How did David look at the situation? Verse 23. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that had come against us. Do you see who is David attributing the credit for this victory? It's the Lord. What the Lord has given us, we should not keep only for ourselves. Generosity and sharing with others comes when we understand that what we have is not solely from ourselves, but from the Lord. Yes, we may have worked hard for it, but if we make the Lord our strength and He gives strength to the work that we do, to the work of our hands, and He helps us accomplish the things that we put our hands to, we must recognize that the source of our success is not ourselves, but the Lord. The wickedness of these men and their worthlessness is not merely their selfish attitudes, but failing to see that what they have acquired Was from the Lord. Friends, have you considered that when you and I put a selfish attitude with what we have, on what we have, we act in the same wicked and worthless spirit as these men as well? But David's generosity shows up not only in ensuring that all his soldiers share in the spoil of the victory, but he also gives to the elders of the leaders of Judah they also get to share in the spoil. In verses 26 to 31, David sends gifts to 13 regions of Judah. And notice how he introduces these gifts. In verse 26, he says, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. This is not David's spoil. David says, This is a spoil of the enemies of the Lord. David clearly frames this entire battle as the Lord's battle. Now why is this an important element for us at the end of chapter 30, at the end of this book? Why close with this picture of David showing such lavish generosity from the spoil he has conquered? Well, remember that the narrator has been teasing us for the past four chapters about this battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. The battle that would be led by King Saul. But before the narrator will describe for us that battle and how Saul will be destroyed by the Philistines, the author is telling us about a victory that God has won against his enemies, not through Saul, but through David. David. In the next chapter, God is going to let Israel's, enemy, uh, Israel's army and their king be killed and utterly destroyed. But David's gift to these leaders is a sweet reminder to the people of Judah, God is not yet over with conquering his enemies, even if Israel is going to be destroyed by the Philistines the next day. How sweet of God to provide such encouragement to his people in the midst of tragic events that will come in chapter 31. While Saul and Israel's army are going to be utterly destroyed, the Lord gives the elders of Judah a token of his power to win against his enemies through the one whom God has anointed all the way back in chapter 16. The Lord has chosen David to wear the mantra of being king over his people. And a time of destruction, the Lord gives victory to this king even if the victory is just a token of God's power to protect his people and to help them recover from the greatest of blows. And it is not coincidental or it's not accidental that David, before he gets this victory and this spoil, David not only encounters the people of Ziklag and the city of Ziklag destroyed and taken, but even his own men wanting to come against him, wanting to kill him. David is here a picture of what God will do in sending another Davidic king who also was turned against by his own people. Not by stoning, but by crucifixion. And in the case of Jesus, they really did it. They did kill him. They did crucify him. And yet, God worked through the story of, of Jesus being killed to execute and, and bring about a way greater victory with way greater spoils. Not merely material things, but our sins being forgiven our guilt being taken, the power of sin being broken, and the hope of eternity being given to all those who would repent and trust in Christ. And that king is sharing the spoils of his victory with anyone who would repent and trust in him. Not only with the leaders of Judah, but with people from every tongue and nation and language. Oh, praise be to God. That he has provided for us a dividing king who has not only brought about a great victory, but is so generous to share of the spoils of that victory with you and I. Oh, friends, this chapter started with a picture of ruin and captivity, and it closes with a picture of victory and abundant spoil that is shared with many. Oh, friends, when things don't go the way we expected, it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be frustrated. And discouragement and frustration and pain and bitterness has such a way to deflate us and to bring us down and to take away the strength from us. But in the midst of such experiences, remember, what was it that made the difference between David and Saul? In their times of deep distress, Saul turned to mediums, to his own strategies, even if it meant working against God's ways. But David realigned himself. David strengthened himself in the Lord. And the Lord, through that strengthening, the Lord brought about a great victory, a complete rescue, and a generous spoil. Oh, friends... For us, the message this morning could be summarized with the words that the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians at the end of the book. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let's pray.